This week, in honor of Earth Day, we welcome onto the show Annabelle Thomas, founder of the Nicknean Distillery, who won Sustainable Distillery of the Year at the recent Icons of Whiskey Awards. And together with Annabelle, we sample the Nicknean Organic Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, as well as talk about their fascinating story and sustainability in the whiskey-making process. As always, you can find some more whiskey-based content, images and videos, etc. on all our social media platforms at Whiskey and Things Podcast on Instagram and at Whiskey and Things on Facebook and Twitter. And it would help us out if you rate, review and subscribe on all of your favourite podcast platforms because we know you use more than one. You're listening to the Whiskey and Things Podcast with Dave Giles and Nick Kent. Welcome to episode 57. This should be the Heinz episode, Nick. I'm Dave Giles. And I'm Nick Kent. There's only one variety of us, Dave. There, well, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good point. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. We're doing this a bit earlier in the uh, normal week. This is a Friday yes. for us. Yes, I'm, okay. I'm taking a, a couple of days off because it's my birthday, Nick. It's my birthday. Unbelievable. I know, right? So this actually is my birthday episode. It comes out on my birthday. Didn't think about that, did you? What have you got me? Nothing. Classic Kent. We're actually recording <laughs> on my birthday when that comes up. Good point. You know? Didn't think about that, did you? What is your birthday present this week? Just oh, so really? you know. Yeah, oh, I'm quite okay. excited about it. Interesting. Mm. Um, that's made it awkward. Although uh, technically it's a pre-order, but you know, I'm not sure if that's a little giveaway. Oh, everyone knows oh. now. I'm hopefully everyone hopefully it, it will arrive by May the 3rd. Fantastic. Uh, Look forward to yeah. it. Look anyway, this it. this episode, which is my birthday episode, I decided we were going to do this months ago. Months mm. ago. I was like, Nick, we're going to do an Earth Day episode and I've found the perfect guest. Uh, and we have found the perfect guest. So for those of you who don't know, what is Earth Day? Well, it's an annual event on April the 22nd to demonstrate support for environmental protection. First held on April 22nd, 1970. Blimey, I didn't know that. I thought it was quite a new thing. It now includes a wide range of events coordinated globally by EarthDay.org, including 1 billion people in more than 193 countries. How do they count all those people? <laughs> they just know. So yeah, this is yeah. the 50, 51st year of Earth Day. Um, so yeah, we recorded this interview way back on the 24th of February. That's how prepared we were for this, mm. um, because our guest was going on maternity leave. So uh, we, we wanted to make sure we, we could get this happening. Yeah. Um, but sustainability in whiskey has been a bit of a buzz. There's a, lot, there's a lot of chat about it, particularly in the Scotch world. There's a Scotch whiskey sustainability strategy, which commits to being net zero, carbon net zero, by 2040. Uh, and t- to do that, they're talking about using more reusable, re- recyclable and compostable packaging uh, and help conserve Scotland's landscape and peatlands. And especially the, the, the big thing here is water efficiency. Um, so there's there's quite a lot about this going being discussed within the industry. But there is no greater example, in my opinion, Nick, and I think you'll agree, than what is going on at Nicknean Distillery. Indeed. And uh, it's become more relevant that we have uh, the founder of Nian on because they became Sustainable Distillery of the Year at the Icon of Whiskey Awards recently. Congratulations! Yes, so it's lucky we interviewed her back in February. Absolutely, we may not have we may not have got the opportunity well, they've now. They're icons. Exactly. We're talking, of course, about Annabelle Thomas, 
yes. um, founder of McNeon. And this was an awesome interview. We had a great time. Did have a good time. And we got to try some of their organic single malt scotch. It's obviously going to be our whiskey of the week. So enjoy this interview and whiskey tasting with Annabelle Thomas, founder of McNeon Distillery. Welcome to Whiskey and Things, Annabelle Thomas from Nicknean Distillery. Thank you very much for joining us. Hello. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a real pleasure to have you on, uh, particularly on Earth Day. We feel like it's really appropriate that you're with us. So before we get started hearing more about the actual distillery, can we hear about your background in terms of how you got involved with even the concept of running your own distillery? Yes. So my background is not very close to whiskey at all. Uh, I used to be a strategy consultant in London, um, working for a big consulting firm, and we consulted to big corporates. So very much a corporate job. The idea for a whiskey distillery originally came, it's on my parents, our distillery is on my parents' farm, and that was where the very original idea came from. It was a family idea and, you know, we'd throw it around the table at mealtimes. And and I took some time off from my time as a consultant, really just to have some fun because they let you take time off, which is very generous of them. Uh, and I said to my family that I would go do some research for this project that we've been talking about because we just kept talking about it and doing nothing about it. Um, and it was really through doing that research that I really got into it and Six months later, I just handed my notice in and thought, when am I ever going to get a chance to start a distillery again? And leapt. Wow. And that was nearly eight years ago. Wow. Uh, so, so then what happened? It was, a, it was, I'm assuming you had to try and raise the funds, I guess. Exactly. So I had had, in this research period, I had done quite a few distillery tours and I had had the realisation that, well, I felt like there wasn't enough focus on sustainability in the industry and maybe there also wasn't enough focus on creativity it seemed to be very traditional, which is there's absolutely a role for that. And Scotch, part of Scotch's beauty is that it's very traditional, but there's also a role for people to not always think in a traditional way. And I think that's the great thing about a new distillery is you kind of have the freedom to do that a bit more. Mm. So that became like the mission. But yes, we then had to go through the extremely painful process of raising money, which took us two years. We then had to go through the equally painful process of actually building the distillery, which took another two years. And then finally, four years after I'd left my old job, we actually started <laughs> producing whiskey. And then you have to wait another three years before you can get in a bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can see the barriers nice to entry are high here. <laughs> exactly. I think that would be a fair definition. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a very long-term process. But, you know, each milestone is important. And first, certainly when that first spirit starts coming off the still, it's pretty cool. And, and then, of course, uh, your first spirit is ready in 2020, which is just the worst <laughs> year, right? I mean, that's... Well, and the irony is we thought it was quite a cool year because it sounded like a nice round number and yeah. <laughs> memorable, but little did we know. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, sustainability is at the core of what you're doing. Give us more insight into, into that thought processes and what steps you have therefore made within building your distillery to make sure that that is at the heart of what you're doing. Well, I guess the reason why is because I, I mean, I, I feel like on a personal level that every person, but maybe more importantly, every business, because they can actually have a big impact, has a responsibility really to do what they can to address the fact that the world is getting hotter and that is causing us massive issues. 
um, but also tackle some of the other sustainability challenges we have that are not directly global warming related, like biodiversity loss, for example. Mm. And there are lots of great examples of businesses doing that already. It felt like when I was looking at it, there wasn't enough focus on that in the whiskey sector. And I think that has changed a lot and is still changing. But I really wanted us to be at the forefront of it. And even though as a relatively small player, we're not going to have a huge impact, hopefully we can have a bigger impact by encouraging other people to move the same way. And I think that is already happening, which is great. So the thought process, and I guess the other, the other important element for us is that we are located somewhere incredibly remote. So there is both the kind of emotional, but also practical need and encouragement to work with nature because that's actually what's around you Mm -hmm. so there was also that you know that side of it as well so when we started out i decided just to pick the kind of the really big obvious things and make sure that we were prepared for those so that was where we got our energy from because distilling is a super energy intensive process so we use we are lucky that we have a commercial forest right by the distillery and we can harvest trees for there and use them in a biomass boiler and replant everything we harvest. So it's a carbon neutral process. The second big part of the kind of impact of a distillery is where you get your raw materials from, but primarily your barley. So we made the decision to only buy Scottish organic barley, which has been an interesting journey as well, because that was done. We made that decision purely for environmental reasons. Basically, you know, I feel like we have a responsibility to protect all down our supply chain, not just what happens in our little domain at the distillery. And choosing organic just means the kind of biodiversity and stuff on those farms is amazing. You go and visit them, it's nothing like a normal farm. But we think it might also have had an impact on the taste of the whiskey, which was entirely unexpected, Ah. Uh, but pretty cool. We'll get onto that later, I'm sure. Exactly. And then the other two big things are water and waste. So both of those we kind of designed in from the beginning. Most of the water usage in a distillery is not actually to go into the whiskey. It's to cool the vapour that comes off the stills. Normally, distilleries would either extract from a river and then put back in, which is not great for the river environment, or they would install a cooling tower to mechanically cool, but that requires chemicals and electricity. We don't have a river. And we didn't really want to go down the cooling tower option because it's energy intensive and it requires chemicals that we didn't really want to use. So we ended up digging a pond, which the engineers didn't like at all because they couldn't calculate sufficiently accurately that this was going to provide us with enough cooling just by effectively evaporation and rainwater addition and things. So they were very nervous about it, but it's worked out just brilliantly. So that's effectively a worm tub as a condenser, as a pond. Was it a different concept? No, it's not. It, so we have a giant pond and the water from that pond is pumped through a normal copper condenser. Okay, right. So if normally you would have through a copper condenser water from the river, we're just drawing it from the pond, but gotcha. we draw it from one end of the pond, put it back in the other end, and it's just a closed loop system. Okay. So there's no impact on the environment kind of outside of that one pond. Right, right, yeah. right. It's not getting washed away anywhere else. That's it. It's not getting washed away. Yeah. It's just stays as one thing and are you trying to sorry this may sound really really uh, a silly question are you trying to make sure that there's no uh, species settling in that pond which therefore could be affected by that or does that not make a difference it doesn't really make a difference but also the nature of the pond is that we're not going to get many species settling in it it's like a right. lined pond we haven't okay. got we've sort of you know there's nothing growing in it yeah. to make it attractive and we kind of want to keep it like that it's just our body of water for cooling. Right, um, it's topped up from the rain. 
as as a as exactly. So we actually it sits below our warehouses, and the warehouses obviously have this massive roof surface area which catches a lot of water, and we just put that water into the pond. Amazing. That's very clever. But interestingly, it also means that the and this happens everywhere, but if you're using a river, it does mean that the temperature of our cooling water changes over the year, uh, but probably in a more extreme way than you would get if it was a river. And so we actually adjust the recipes that, of spirit that we make in the distillery around that. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice. So you'll have seasoned varieties of whiskies as, as, as we go on. Exactly. Very exactly. nice. Very nice. Wow. So and the one other thing you mentioned was waste. Um, obviously, water waste is a big part of that. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's then obviously other materials in in the distribution of the whiskey, right? Which I'm assuming is yes, exactly. Well. And to, well, to begin, no, to begin with, it was actually the distillery, what is called effluent, which is just such a horrible word, but it's basically the solids from the barley draft and the leftover liquid in the stills, and both of those go back to the farm. So yeah. again, a very natural process. The cows eat the draft the potel spread on the field as fertilizer and that was so that was i guess all the stuff that we built in from the beginning those were the big things but then of course once you start operating in distillery you quickly realize there's all sorts of other things that you need to think about there's the chemicals that you need to use to clean the equipment yeah. and then you get onto a product and it's this packaging and so our approach to sustainability has the kind of mission has always been there but we've had to adapt what we're doing and continually improve as we go and that's still and like we're still in that process nobody is perfect and yeah we've still got a long way to go whiskey one thing i have read about you is that as far as you're aware you're the using the first 100 percent recycled bottle and i understand it was quite a process to find that uh can you tell that story Yes. So obviously when you set up a whiskey distillery, you're most focused on just laying stock down and the actual concept of having whiskey in a bottle still seems like it's a lifetime away. Um, And so I hadn't really planned any packaging sustainability strategy, like big strategy or anything when we started. It was like, oh God, that's ages (laughs) away. Um, So we start, so anyway, so whiskey's approaching and we start looking into it and thinking, what are our options here? And there are not many great options out there when you start looking at it. And we wanted a clear bottle because I think it's really nice for consumers to be able to see what's in the bottle. And you look at clear bottle options and they're all made with like 80% plus virgin materials. Right. I think this is completely bonkers. You know, we're not sourcing, like the cardboard that we're sourcing is not virgin. Why would yeah. we use that for glass? So one of my team, Amy, who is both our visitor manager and head of sustainability, as is want in small companies, people have very broad roles, mm-hmm. um, set herself the task of calling up all the big glass manufacturers in the UK and some in Europe saying, you know, we want a high percentage recycled glass, clear glass bottle. And we just got no, 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 no. And I, I mean, I get it because these guys work in like massive furnaces and it's not like they can just suddenly switch them off and do something special for us. But their view was, well, everyone who wants a clear bottle wants like flint clear glass that's super shiny, super premium. So we'd kind of given up hope. And we then ended up finding this amazing company that make our 100% recycled clear glass bottle at a trade show in Berlin of all places. And Amy and I were there. It was just the two of us. And it was before the show started. We walked up to this stand. There was no one on it. And it said 100% post-consumer recycled glass. We're like, <laughs> and I, to begin with, I was a bit like, 
how has Amy managed to not find this so far? And it turns out that was the day they were launching. Wow. Um, We were already halfway through our bottle design process with a completely different shape, but we're like, this is it. This is amazing. So we had to ditch all the bottle design we'd already done, take one of their bottles. And yeah, we just, it was a kind of, it's one of those lucky things. Right place, right time. Yeah. We managed to find them in enough time that we could redesign everything before launch. But so yeah, it's very cool. And it's a project they've been working on for five years. It's been enormously difficult for them to put in place, but they've they managed it. And yeah, it's amazing. And it, the result is that every glass bottle that we use has a 40% lower carbon footprint than a one with a much higher recycle content. So wow. it really makes a difference. That's a mass. Yeah, that's a huge difference, isn't it? It's a huge difference. And some, something else that I, as a consumer, am very aware of is the amount of packaging that goes on within whiskey in terms of gift boxes and tins and things like that. Do you think that's something else that we need to be considering here and the industry needs to be looking at? They're very pretty and they make great displays and things like that. One, do you do it? And two, do you think it's something that that is sustainable and something we need to talk about? Yes, 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 and yes. Um, (laughs) So we spent a long time thinking, should we even have a gift box? And the conclusion we came to was let's do one and then let's incentivize people not to take it. (laughs) So for the people for whom it's really important or for whom, who are actually giving it as a gift and it substitutes some kind of other gift packaging. I sort of don't have a problem with that because if it's one thing or other, they might as well have the convenience of us supplying it. So on our website and for all of our trade customers, they have the option of buying a without gift box bottle. Uh, It's caused enormous complexity for us (laughs) because you end up running double the amount of products you have to have otherwise. And like, you know, it's just really little things Like you have to have different barcodes for both. So if it's not going in a gift box, you've got to put a barcode on the bottle. But what has been even more interesting is that everyone's still buying the bloody gift box. (laughs) She'll make it so pretty. Well, <laughs> she got a very pretty bottle, you know, and a pretty gift box. People are going to want it. I know. So that's, we actually put something on social media last week about it. And everyone was like, why don't you make it ugly? And we're like, mm, that's not really the point, is it? Because then that's totally pointless. So you think that it's, it's one of those things that the wider community needs to do. Like, and also as consumers, we need to start asking ourselves that serious question. Do I actually need this gift box? And we shouldn't necessarily put it just on the manufacturers, but I think if more manufacturers had it as an option like you do, despite the fact it makes it more complex, and then it's down to you. Because some people I as do, well... Like, I th- I, yeah, I think that's right. Nick, for example, has a wonderful display of his gift boxes from individual bottles. And when you yeah. get your first one, it's great. But you don't necessarily need it for your second one. Like you can have that wall display of your lovely gift boxes, but then you don't necessarily need it for everyone after that. And to have that mm. option to not do that. Exactly. And I mm. guess we're also still, we don't yet know, because we're still so early in our journey, about whether, we don't know whether the reason so many people are buying gift boxes is because the first bottle, they want to do exactly what you described, which is keep that one gift box, and then afterwards they're going to buy it without. Yeah. So we might discover that the proportion of people buying gift boxes declined significantly at which point brilliant and that's kind of totally what we set out to do to give people who really want that gift box the option of having it once and then not buying it again but we don't know we're kind of still on that journey but i think i think it's incumbent on distilleries to give the option because and also when these things go into bars 
literally you talk to a bartender they're like it's just more unpacking and more recycling i have to do and what a horrendous thought yeah, yeah. so when the on trade reopens i really want to try and make sure that that's that our without gift option is what's getting through wholesalers into bars because that is just the most horrendous waste for it absolutely not to, you know talking of, of the wider implications of that though do bars always need a new glass bottle even a glass bottle because they, they must waste a hell of a lot is do you know if there is other research or ideas and thought process within the industry on how that can be improved? Um, for yes. example, with beer, we have kegs, right? And, and the keg and the, and the brewery come around, take the keg back, mm. refill it, and it gets reused. I know that's more complex with whiskey because it's a different kind of product, but is that being discussed? It is. This is a very controversial topic. I think of it going backwards because that's, that's how like the bottled and bonded thing came about because whiskey yeah. used to come in barrels and the bars used to do it themselves. So that's uh, why they ended up bottling it. So, so, but as you say, is it coming back? Well, there is a major barrier, which is that you are not allowed to decant or do anything with single malt scotch whiskey outside of Scotland. Unless you teaspoon it, but then it can't be called scotch. But then it's not a single malt scotch. Yes. So, for example, you know, there's lots of cocktail companies at the moment who are doing delivery to the door type cocktails. We have to send them retail bottles because they're all based in England because we're not allowed to send them unless we teaspoon it, which is something we have given serious thought to, but I'll come back to that. Because we can't send it in bulk outside Scotland, which is just, in my mind, completely ridiculous. Like, I I understand why it was done, but that was in a literally a different century and for completely different reasons. And the world has moved on so much. So that's like a small example, but there are companies doing really amazing things on a much bigger scale and trying to change the bar industry. And they have, they're called Eco Spirits. They started in Asia and they're coming to the UK and they have these like keg equivalents basically for spirits. They're smaller, obviously, but um, they're refillable and you just send an IBC of the spirit and they have this amazing like refill system. So, wow. Okay. It's happening. But again, unless we teaspoon our single malt and call it blend, Mm -hmm. which we can do, but it's so confusing. I mean, scotch is confusing enough for consumers as it is without any of that rubbish. Um, we can't participate. That's very frustrating. And, and I guess the hard part about that, especially as a new distillery, is you can probably see English distilleries who can participate in yeah. those things and you can't compete with them. Because I'm assuming if you're going down that route, it probably also becomes cheaper for you to be able to do wholesale to bars. Of course. I'd much rather send them a 10-litre drum Yeah, yeah. that they can do with, you know, that they a 10-litre drum and six empty bottles. Yeah. They can refill them and put them on the back bar. It offers great value to the bar. It's also better for us. It's better for the environment. It just seems like a no-brainer. But Yeah, so hopefully uh, progress will be made there. Because exactly. on the whole, the Scotch industry is taking this seriously, right? For example, there is a, a campaign to, to be net zero by 2040 with a sustainability strategy. I think that was announced earlier this year. You know, that's a conversation that's been going on for a couple of years. Do you feel like you're one of the people that started that conversation or do you think it, it was happening anyway and now these, the, rightfully, that they're actually making impact here? No, and I think, I mean, I think the, con- so you're right, it is going on and the SWA have done a good job of that. I think that, and it's been going on before we were even known about, I hope we are having an impact. Like we do get the bigger distillers coming undercover to see what we're doing. Nice. And then implementing some of that stuff at their distilleries which is pretty cool are we seeing more um, ponds 
No, the pond doesn't seem to have taken on so much, but biomass boilers are, which is okay, amazing. Cool. Well, that's cool. Replacing oil and gas. So that is cool. And we know that there is at least one big distillery being built with a biomass boiler and they came to see ours before they chose to yeah. have it there, no, no. which is great. Brookladdy have just done the same as what we do and now do optional tins on their website. Again, no idea whether they did that because we did it or because they thought it was the right thing to do and didn't know we did it. But I think we are starting to have a small impact. And that is what I would like to see, really, because it's all very well us doing exactly the right thing. But if we if can, no one else does, then if it's... no one else does, it's a small impact. And if, yeah. if we can have we'll have a much bigger whole environmental impact if we can influence the rest of the industry as well. So that being said. I think net zero in 2040 is too late. Yeah, I, I agree. But it's a step in the right direction. Did I not read? I mean, that was that was obviously January of this year when that got announced. But there were other targets before that. And the whiskey industry seemed to be very much ahead. I think it may not just be... Uh, it's a target that's not just for the Scotch industry. It's for industries on the whole. Uh, and the Scotch industry on the whole is ahead of where it should be compared to other industries in terms of trying to get to carbon neutral. If, if I'm correct in that, I, uh, yes, do correct I, me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know exactly, but I think you're right. And I think that's against government targets. And then the question is that the government targets aggressive enough. So Yeah, of course. So what would you like to see happen across? The, is, is there something further you would like to see happen obviously as you said it can't be perfect there's still as you say the chemicals and all the other things that need yeah. to happen is there one thing that, that you think could be a silver bullet in helping the industry to become more sustainable is there one thing that you've discovered in setting up the distillery that you think is a really obvious thing that could make such a, a the biggest amount of difference um no or is it lots of little things and i think that's the thing about sustainability it's really complex and really hard and in particular, the challenge for the the rest of the industry who are not new distillers is that they've got all this really expensive infrastructure and it's really expensive to change it. And I get it. Like We were really lucky that we set ourselves up at a time where there were alternatives. But, you know, to retrofit boilers, to rip out good oil boilers and replace them with a more expensive renewable alternative is costly. And, I, you know, that is going to happen slowly. And I think that's understandable which is where you want the government to come in really and try and well, help And out. the government have come in, like they're doing, they're sponsoring this green distilleries project at the moment, which is basically looking at green hydrogen and whether, what role that can have in distilleries. So they are, the, that is moving in the right direction. I think there are a couple of smaller things like chemicals. So on chemicals, most people use caustic to clean both their kind of mash tun and wash bags and also their wash still generally. We have replaced half of our caustic use and caustic, by the way, is very energy intensive to make and also not very nice to work with and not very good to dispose of. We've replaced half of that usage with an enzyme uh, called Enzybrew. It's developed for the brewing industry um, and it's halved our caustic usage, which is amazing. We haven't done enough shouting about it yet, so I don't know how many other people actually know about it. But that is something that everybody could do mm. immediately. I think the biggest thing, which is not the silver bullet, but it is a big thing, is packaging. Mm. Yeah. And just okay. really lightweighting bottles, really going for higher renewable. Like if the big guys turned around to these bottle manufacturers and said, I don't want Flint clear glass, they would change because they're the biggest customers. Yeah. So yeah. that is like, that is super simple. And also making, I was told a story by one of the Scandinavian monopoly buyers that they had tried to order a product from Scotland. I don't know what it was without a gift box. And they were told, uh, we can't do that, but we could send it in a gift box and unpack it at the border for you and throw the gift boxes away. 
You're like, totally come on, point, that is yeah. not an okay answer. <laughs> so I think being more radical on packaging is something that people could do much more quickly than they can retrofit to some kind of renewable energy boiler in a massive plant, which yeah. is obviously very difficult in CapEx. Aren't Johnny Walker bringing in a paper bottle or something soon? They are. Let's see how much of Johnny Walker ends up in that bottle. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's the test. They made a yeah. brilliant song and dance for it. Yeah. We haven't seen it on the shelves yet. If it's 1% of their output, then mm. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point. But you know, yeah. I, like, yeah, I will reserve judgment until we see it. But. I mean, obviously we, we say all this, there is no perfect strategy, is there? Because the, the, in a perfect world, we all distill our own whiskey and drink, our, you know, and do it so locally. But we do want to taste dream, whiskey. Dave. From, well, but we want to taste whiskey from all over the world, and we as consumers want that, and we want to try a, a multitude of different distilleries. And and just the transport of all of that is a nightmare. And and you know, the, the world is set up that way, unfortunately. And we've we've just got to constantly be asking other questions of, okay, if we want to do that, if we want to try Tasmanian whiskeys, Nick. Uh, can those Tasmanian whiskies make sure that what they're doing is sustainable enough? So if that last little bit of getting it to the consumer is the really hardest part to make net zero, and it might not be the, the hardest part, I don't know. But if that is the hardest part, then we can have that conversation across multiple industries, not just the whiskey industry, because that's about transporting goods and all those kind of things. Um, yeah, I think that's right. And I also think we have to acknowledge like, well, we as Nick Nian have to acknowledge that we are making a luxury product that no one needs. <laughs> this is not vegetables well. <laughs> that people need. <laughs> so to some extent, we are also part of that problem, which is mass consumerism, people consuming a lot of stuff that they yeah. don't need. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, that's where we are in the world. But we still want to be happy, right? <laughs> exactly. And I figure if people are going to buy expensive whiskey anyway, they might as well buy sustainable expensive whiskey. So. Oh, absolutely. Whiskey bots roll out. So I've never tried your whiskey. <gasps> so I'm looking forward to this and to trying this. So talk us through. We've got, I mean, it says uh, we've got batch two. The date it was drawn was the 20th of November, 2020. And it's forty six percent. That's what. That's the information that we have. So, okay, uh, how, how much have you released, and how much are you planning on releasing this oh. year, and all that kind of stuff? Give us a bit more information about the whiskey we've got and, and what we can expect from it. Um, okay, perfect. So, we released our first whiskey in August last year. We are we release them in batches, um, which is. I mean, literally how we make it. That's why we do it. We're just we like to be transparent and tell people about what it is that we're doing. Mm-hmm. and what it is they're drinking so you can find all the information about any batch you've got on our website so every batch at the moment is about five thousand bottles that will change a little bit over time because we're building a new bottling building and that will allow us to do slightly large batches um so we are on batch five at the moment is what you'll mostly buy if you buy something in the shops and we are doing the cask selection for batch six this week nice oh. speak so at the moment we have just one product out there which is what you have in front of you that will change over time we'll add more products to the range but not in the next few months um so what you have is a so it's our core single malt it's a mixture of 65 percent str casks red wine x red wine casks and 35 percent bourbon barrels so each batch is roughly the same mixture but obviously it is different casks that go into each batch so there is some a small amount of natural variation exactly we were aiming for something 
delicious, obviously. <laughs> um, but also we hope we have achieved something which is kind of fruity, smooth and a little bit spicy. It also happens to work really well in a whiskey soda, which is one of our favourite serves um, and something that we spend quite a lot of time thinking about. Right. <laughs> Four years ageing or do you just bring it out when it's ready? This is three years old. Right what you've got we don't have any four-year-old yet the first barrels will turn four at the beginning of april so later this year you'll probably start seeing batches that have at least some four-year-old in although by that point we won't be able to tell you it's got some four-year-old in because that would also be against the rules yeah of course yeah of course so i'll tell you now and then it won't be shown on the website (laughs) you can definitely smell the spiciness Uh, i don't know if you're getting that nick i was getting kind of orchard fruits peach oh yeah kind of thing yeah we say stone fruits exactly peach apricot yeah oh for sure uh, yeah. it's quite herbal as well for me on the nose mm. when you mentioned earlier about the organic barley what stage did that affect the the taste or the smell where, where has that come in and, and changed what you thought you were going to deliver is well, that the what? spiciness or no i think it we think but we don't have any proof of this because we only make organic so we've not got a side-by-side comparison of this is what our distillery and our yeast and all the rest of it would make if it wasn't organic so it's definitely hypothetical but uh, we think it gives us kind of body and viscosity and depth sort of beyond its years and the reason we think it does that is because every grain of organic barley is a bit has got a bit more fullness of flavor to it it's they're generally lower yielding so if you like the goodness of the soil is spread over fewer actual grains right. and it's had to fight a bit harder in its life to grow because it's not had all that help from fertilizers and things which makes it develop more complexity within the grain yeah so on your website you retreat your red wine casks do you rechar them yes so they are shaved toasted and recharred Lovely. so that recharring process really caramelizes the wine sugars that are already present in the cask yeah um, and gives a lot of the spicy profile that you taste in the whiskey yeah it's spicy kind of black pepper on the tail of it as well absolutely Isn't it? absolutely i'm getting lemon lemony as well mm. yeah i think the lemoniness comes from the underlying spirit so we have we actually have multiple spirit recipes that we run in the distillery, but this is our spirit recipe that we designed to be drunk young. We designed it as a young whiskey. Right, right. So fruity and citrusy yeah. and pure. So what happens to the casks once you've used them in terms of sustainability? What happens to them after that? Uh, we refill them at the moment. Okay, yeah. Um, that is obviously not going to happen forever because they have a useful life, but mm. we're too young. <laughs> a bit like we hadn't thought about packaging in 2017, honestly. I haven't thought about that for <laughs> a couple of years. Right? 10 okay, years where, time where are we so. putting these? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I tell you what, this whiskey is really good. It's beautiful. For a young whiskey, it's so good. There's, there's, there is a complexity to it. You're right. It does have a feel like a, it's a lot older than it is. I'm not sure if you're getting that, Nick, as well. Yeah, I am. Was that a long fermentation time as well to get that fruitiness? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And we use two yeasts as well. Oh, which is right. really important in creating that fruitiness. So most distilleries will just use one standard, especially in Scotland, one standard distilling yeast, but we use half standard distilling yeast and half a yeast that originally came from a kind of wine background. Yeah. Makes it sound like a career, doesn't it? But you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and that drives a lot of the fruitiness because actually a lot of the flavour development that you get in whiskey is in that fermentation process and a relatively long fermentation. Mm. I really, really like this. <laughs> It's wonderful. I'm trying so to keep good. a bit back for the uh, soda water at some point. 
Yeah, yeah, try it with soda. I'd love to hear what you guys think of that as well. And I think that depth and viscosity from the organic side really helps it in the whiskey and soda serve. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's something we've been talking about quite a lot recently, actually, that um, whiskey should be drunk so many different ways. It's a drink at the end of the day, so we shouldn't be snobby about it and say, oh, you should only drink it neat and with no exactly. ice and not, not chilled. And, water. Yeah, yeah. On a full moon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whereas the reality is, every spirit will have a way of drinking it, which is just incredible. And, yeah. and the fact that you you've clearly done some research of your own spirit and said, you know what, it really excels with soda. Is is I think it's really nice to see that you've been that forward about it and uh, and making it obvious so that so that we can try it because you've done our homework for us in that sense. Yeah. And it's I find it crazy that we get comments on social media or wherever that it's like express surprise that we've put the recipe for whiskey we call it whiskey six just two parts whiskey four parts soda on the side of the bottle yeah which is really unusual in scotch but it's like i really think that it's important for us as an industry to move away from that rather old school feeling of like you can only drink it neat because i think that's really off-putting for a lot of people and it is. Absolutely. that's a shame because they're not trying whiskey as a result and no. in particular they're not trying whiskey from scotland so no. i've looked yeah. at friends i say sniff this and they go smells like barbecue sauce i don't like it that's it and they'll never look at it ever again yeah. um, but if there's another option you know like the whiskey six or yeah then yeah so with the future whiskies you've got how difficult is it to put stock aside, did you have a new make which you were like, okay, we're going to put that aside and we're not going to open that for eight years or we're, not, we're going to keep trying it, but we're, we're going to have a 12-year-old, we're going to have a 14-year-old. How many b- barrels do you hold back, especially when you probably just want to get money because you've been plowing money into this for eight years and you've finally got a product? Um, excellent questions. Well, there's, there's kind of two parts to that answer. Remember when I said we made different recipes throughout the year, depending on yeah. the temperature of the pond. So we have this recipe that we unimaginatively call the old recipe, <laughs> which is designed to be matured for at least 10 years. Right. So we, and we make that in the summer. So the recipe that we're drinking now, which is the new recipe, uh, it's quite important that the cooling water in the condensers is quite cold. Because if you don't have cold cooling water, you lose a lot of those higher alcohols and esters, which give you a lot of those nice fruit flavors we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. For the old recipe, we're much less concerned about, to be honest, much less concerned about what the spirit is like overall, because it's going to be in cast for more than 10 years. And the wood becomes such a predominant factor that that's a lot of the influence. But also we intentionally have a much lower cut point on that recipe to capture some of the elements that are less attractive in a young spirit but over a longer period in cast become depth and complexity yeah. so that's what we make in summer because we're not it's much warmer the cooling water but we're not worried about capturing what needs cold cooling water and deciding how much of that recipe to do each year is really hard there's no right answer i'll yeah. tell you in 20 years time whether we made the right decision <laughs> <laughs> um and then the other challenge is how we quickly or slowly we release the whiskey that we've got which again you can only do it by using your best judgment really and we're trying to just you know build things in the right way and be able to tell our story and get people along Mm. rather than just say oh my god we've got to sell as much as possible and uh, we're lucky to have very patient investors who support that yeah totally um have you been approached by indie bottlers at all at this stage yes we have um and we've actually done one release already with boutique oh nice and we're about to do another one great so we will only ever do them on a really limited scale because honestly i'd much rather put out 
stuff under a nickname. I think that indie bottlers are amazing and they can help us get the word out to people that wouldn't otherwise have heard of us, which is awesome. But we just, yeah, you can't do too much of it because otherwise we have not have stock left for your own product. You're listening to the Whiskey and Things podcast. I have a left field question here. Basically, we have... Uh, Love it. We have um, Patreons, as, as we said before we started um, yeah. recording. And um, our top tier are able to ask questions um, of our guests. And um, and one of our top tiers, her name's Lauren. And she has sent this question, which I actually think is really delightful. I don't think Nick or I could have asked this Anyway, it comes in a couple of parts, but I, th- I really think this is great. The suspense is killing me. <laughs> right. I don't know what this at, is. <laughs> at what point did you think that this is what you wanted to do? As a parent, I'm seeing a female distillery founder, and that's very inspiring. But you're making alcohol, so I'm trying to figure out a way of using your story to inspire my kids. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Any advice? And it's... it's, it's, it's yeah, a, you weren't going to get a, that question from me or Dave. <laughs> no, you wouldn't have got that question from us. Exactly, that's exactly, exactly my point. But it's, uh, it's, it's really true because obviously I think, I think there's a misconception that whiskey is a, is a male industry. And I don't think, from something Nick and I have certainly discovered, that's definitely not the case. The public don't necessarily see that visibility of females. Definitely, as, which as much is as bonkers. They right. So it, I think it's a really valid question. But also, how do you how do you turn around to an eight year old girl and say, "Look, you can do what you want." There's that woman there; she founds a distillery and get like making whiskey. It's like it's a, it's a What's whiskey, it, mummy. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh God. Yeah. So the, I'll answer the first question first, and then see if I can come, yeah. see if I can come up with an answer. You can answer the second bit. So the interesting thing is when I decided to do it, which is when I left my job at Bain, where I used to work. I had no, and I don't think any entrepreneur really knows or thinks how long they're going to be doing it for so I sort of thought well I'll probably go and set it up and then it will just run itself right it's really easy Mm. and then of course you realize it's not easy and someone has to run it and by that point you're so deep into it that of course you're going to carry on doing it so that's the beauty of the naivety of setting up your (laughs) business for the first time but the specific point I decided to do it was when so I'd done this trip and research and things and thought, God, we've really, someone really needs to do this in the whiskey industry and we could do it. Um, but I sort of at that point didn't, hadn't yet made the connection in my mind of like, well, I need to, uh, I'm going to need to leave my job to do it. But then it became basically increasingly apparent that I couldn't do it whilst holding down another job. And it was a bit like, right, well, either one of the members of our family has got to quit their job and do this full time, or we should just stop talking about it because it's a waste of time. And yeah. I was looking to leave my job anyway. And literally I had one conversation with my husband and then had it in my notice without thinking about it too much, which I think is it's like ripping off a plaster is sort of the best <laughs> way to do it. And then you figure out as you go along. But the other thing is that I wasn't really conscious at that stage of being a woman going into whiskey because I wasn't yet in it. Right. The first task was fundraising it. It's obviously to do with whiskey, but it's not directly to do with whiskey. And it only, it was only much later in the process, more like really when we started making it, that I started getting questions like, well, do you actually like whiskey? I'm like, of course I like whiskey. Why would I be making a product that I didn't like? That's Mm. bananas. And then you start to get this insight into this public perception, which is not reflective, I think, of the industry perception, because the industry knows that there's both a lot of women in it and a lot of women that drink whiskey. But this public perception that women don't like whiskey, which is crazy. And so if by doing this, we can also start changing that perception of it, that would also be awesome. Absolutely. 
Um, any advice on what to say to her children? <laughs> I think they must know what whiskey is if you have it in your drinks cabinet. So I think yeah. just tell them the truth. Yeah. <laughs> if there's any consolation, I have a three-year-old daughter and she already knows what whiskey is. I can show her pictures of the nickname whiskey bottle, like when it's in a magazine or something. And she's like, that's mommy's whiskey. <laughs> and she's only three. So I'm sure eight-year-olds will be fine. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. The bottle is beautiful. Um, who designed it? Or what was the thoughts behind that? We went to a really amazing agency called Fresh Britain, who had never worked in alcohol before to do it. Right. And that's kind of part of our philosophy is trying not to do too many things just the way they've always been done because that's the way they've always been done. So it's also reflecting who we recruit. For example, there are very few people apart from our distillery manager who have experience in the whiskey industry already within the team. And I think that just helps keep it fresh and, you know, give new perspectives to how you do things. Mm. And so, yeah, Fresh Britain were amazing. They have one in particular, very talented designer who was in charge of the bottle. But before that became the bottle we'd done a lot of work on so Nick Nian, the name is based on this ancient ga- Gallic goddess Nishniohain um, who was known as a protector of nature and for walking her own path and so we did a lot of research into her and a lot of the colours and everything else that we use is based on that so she lived in a forest right. and she's associated with the moon and all that kind of stuff so it's like forest colours and moonlight and that's a lot of the inspiration behind it. And then literally the actual foliage on the bottle is all stuff that you find local to the distillery. Right, right. What's it short for, the name? Nicknean? Nicknean is short for Nishniohain. Good. I, I wanted you to say that and pronounce it. Cause I, would have, I tried to pronounce it earlier and I think I butchered it. So, Well, that's why we shortened it to Nicknean yeah. because it's like 13 <laughs> letters and there's not many vowels in there. So, no, That's great. Thank you, Annabelle, so much for joining yeah, thank us. You. This has been really eye-opening and wonderful and the whiskey is fantastic yeah. uh, i would definitely be getting myself a bottle of this because this is absolutely amazing uh, and uh, and good luck with the future and uh, and with your future releases and with the distillery as well it's it sounds wonderful thank you so much for having me it's been such a fun chat pleasure thank you uh, are you open to the public for visiting obviously not currently but in normal times are you open for visitors and and things like that we are for the intrepid souls who make it <laughs> we can make to the distillery. <laughs> it's worth it, but it is an adventure. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll add that to our list, Nick. It's perfect. It's halfway between Isla and, uh, and Sky. So perfect. 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 But Amazing. only on the way if you're in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Or a, a boat, or a boat. We got boat Otherwise, Dave. it's like this. <laughs> we got a boat, Dave. Be fine. Yeah, we'll, crowd, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll set up a crowdfunder for that, shall we? <laughs> you're listening to Whiskey and Things. So you can watch the full uncut video of that interview with Annabelle on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash whiskey and things. By the way, we've now changed it. You can now subscribe both monthly and annually, uh, whatever floats your boat, I guess. Uh, So go over there, check out the interview, check out the other interviews that are on there and other little bits that we do. Uh, And that's, as we said, patreon.com forward slash whiskey and things things yes there's there's a bit more in that video we're going to a bit more detail we talk about their range of botanical spirit and their youtube channel and stuff so more interesting stuff on there and of course you can find out more about nookneen and their range over on their website nookneen.com and their social media accounts at nookneen that's n-c-n-e-a-n n-c-n-e-a-n that's instagram 
Facebook and Twitter, all forward slash Nick Nian. Um, whilst you may have been listening to that interview, Nick and I were making ourselves uh, a Nick Nian Whiskey 6, as recommended by Annabelle, um, which is two parts Nick Nian single malt and four parts soda water. And uh, when they sent us to sample the whiskey, they very kindly sent us uh, a little bottle of Fever Trees premium soda water. So premium. Um, we've, both, premium. We've, we've both made it. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. It smells great, Nick. It does smell lovely, doesn't it? Yeah, your ice cubes sound wonderful. Mm. Oh, that's really good. That's really refreshing, isn't it? It's yeah, dry. really nice. It's dry. Yeah. It's cold and refreshing, and that's really nice. That's a great summer drink, that, isn't it? Yes, that might go on the list. Seeing as we can go outside now. Have, yeah, you know, exactly. I think all the pubs are actually booked up around here, so I don't know if I'll oh, be, really? be actually <laughs> able to get to a pub garden soon. But that is nice. Um, if you want to purchase a Nick Nian organic single malt, they go for about forty-seven ninety-five, so I think it's great value. But this spirit, what goes into absolutely, it, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and bear in mind, you're supporting uh, a, a company which is doing all the right things ethical as best as they can yeah. uh, for a product which as annabelle said is completely luxury and unnecessary <laughs> uh, but we love it we love it and uh, and they've done a great job this is such a great cocktail blimey it's such a simple thing isn't it soda water whiskey glass ice boom thank yeah. you very much something i don't usually do to be honest mixing no. whiskey into things apart from you know the jds and stuff i don't i've never bought a bottle of soda water in my life but this is really nice may have changed is, my ways this is super tasty yeah. so um, drinkable so yeah. drinkable anyway also you can find out more about earth day as we said at the start at earthday.org and uh and, and do you know this podcast comes out on wednesday so it's tomorrow yes celebrate it do something be nice to the planet yeah. uh on earth day why not did you ever go to live earth back in the day no, I didn't. What's Live Earth? It was a big concert. It was like um, Live Aid, but it was right. in Wembley Stadium, and they had like a load of bands and stuff, and it was quite entertaining. Yes, Foo Fighters, uh, Beastie Boys, who else was there? Chili Peppers, Metallica. They played the next day, because they were like, oh, well, all this is set up. Why don't we just play Wembley Stadium the next day and leave it all set up? <laughs> <laughs> Went to two concerts in two days at Wembley Stadium. It's great. Wow. Mm, back in the day, wow. 2007. Good Lord. Yes. Wow. I didn't even hear about that, but no. yeah, sounds great. There we go. It was a lot of fun. So, Nick Nian, thank you to Annabelle for coming on. That was wicked. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and do go and check out what they're up to. And if you're ever up that way, go and give them a visit. In that remote place they, uh, the distillery <laughs> yeah. is. Good luck. <laughs> um, I think that's all we've got this week, isn't it? That's all we have time for. <laughs> However long this podcast is, that's all we have time that for. That is all we have time for. There is yeah. no time for any more podcasts today. No, we're coming up to the end. I can see it. Even before I edit it, I can see we have no more time. No, there's no more time. No. There is no more top cut. <laughs> that would be quite amusing if you did that. <laughs> but I'm yeah. not, apparently. <laughs> so, yes, thank you for joining us, everyone. Only one thing left to say. Cheers. Thanks for coming. Whiskey and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.